Hey guys, as we approach the holiday season, I know a lot of you are going to be making New Year's resolutions and you're going to be setting your goals for next year. And for some of you, that's going to be to start a real estate investing company. I I know it is because it happens every year. People decide, you know, listen, next year is going to be different. I'm going to start that business that I've been meaning to start. Or you could already have a real estate investing company and you're going to set goals for that company, how you want to grow, how you want to be maybe more profitable. Um, You're going to have different things that you want to do. And that's awesome. And I'm so excited for you uh, going into next year. But I want to let you know, you don't have to do it alone. I am here for you. This podcast is for you. I'm trying to create content that's going to help you reach those goals. Whether you're new and you're trying to start a business or start a real estate investing company, or you already have one and you're trying to grow it and make it more successful, whether that's bigger or more profitable or whatever the case may be, I want to help you get to that goal. So to that end, I am going to spend all of next year and what's remaining in this year doing my best to deliver content to you that helps you get to your goals. But you can make it a lot easier on both of us if you just shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject line help, and just tell me what you'd like to hear. Or even better still, if you want, Uh, Let me know if you'd like to hop on the phone and chat and see if there's anything I can do for you going forward to help you achieve your goals. Uh, If you want that, in, uh, you put the subject line help and in the body of it, just say, hey, Mike, I want to reach out. I want to talk to you. Let's see if we can hop on the phone and 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 see if you can help me achieve my goals next year. Uh, or if you just want to give me some suggestions for what you'd like to hear on the show, what content you really want to have covered so that you're able to get to where you want to go, I'm down for that too. But it all starts with that email. Shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject line help. Tell me what you need. Tell me what I can do for you and we'll make it happen. All right, guys, let's get on to the show. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me here on another episode of Just Start Real Estate. I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate you choosing to spend time with me. It means a lot and it uh, it is not overlooked or taken for granted. So thank you very much for that. I do want to say real quick, I haven't said this in a while, but if you are enjoying this show, if the content is helping you out, if you resonate with what I'm telling you and, and you really like coming here and, and getting this dose of information that I try to dole out to you once a week, please go to iTunes and give me a rating and review. It really does mean the world for any podcast you listen to, not just this one, but any podcast you listen to, um, the life blood of that podcaster is really getting rating and review uh, on iTunes. So if you haven't done that yet, please go on over there and check it out. Uh, If you go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash iTunes, that's how you can get directly into iTunes and give me a rating review, uh, or you can do it on your phone, whatever works for you. But I would really, really appreciate that. Okay, guys, diving into today's show, what I want to share with you today, what I think is going to be powerful and meaningful, especially as we get into the end of the year. And just like I was talking at the top of the show about New Year's resolutions and, and how you're going to try to maybe transform your business next year or just start it. You know, Maybe you haven't even started your business. I want to help you with that. So in today's show, I want to talk about the top 10 things that successful real estate investors know. What do they know? What are they doing differently? What are they... Uh, um, 
you know, doing in their business that's making them get to that second level or that third level and beyond? What is it that they're doing that you don't know about that you're not doing? Well, I'm going to help you with that because not only have I had tremendous success in this industry, but I've also gotten to know many, many people who have really just crushed it in this industry. And they're great business owners and great entrepreneurs. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, well over a hundred of them, but hundreds more I have gotten to know and become friends with and gotten to talk to. So I'm going to share what I've learned and what I have learned from them that they're doing in their business that you may not know or you may not be doing very effectively. So let's get this started. These are in no particular order, by the way. This isn't like in order of most important to least important or anything like that. Um, so let's let's start with number one. Number one, leads are the oxygen of your company. Let me say that one more time. Leads are the oxygen of your company. When your real estate investing company stops getting leads or stops having lead funnels that that go into your company, you're effectively dying. You are running out of oxygen or you're out of oxygen. And what happens to a person when they run out of oxygen? Well, eventually they'll die. And so will your company. So Please understand, I don't care if you're a wholesaler, if you're a flipper, and for that matter, even, even a landlord, which it's a little bit different maybe with them because perhaps you, your goal is to get to maybe 10 doors and you get there and you just don't want any more, right? So that's fine. You're not actively uh, looking for new properties. That's fine. But for wholesalers, for house flippers, leads are your oxygen, man. You got to get leads. The more leads, the better, because you don't have to buy everything that every lead you get doesn't have to be bought, right? It's great if you can monetize most of them or all of them, but the reality is it's like at bats, right? How are you ever going to hit a home run or a double or a triple or a single or whatever if you never get up to the plate, if you never get the ball coming toward you so you can swing at it, right? So that's really what leads are. It's They're at-bats. They're opportunities for you to uh, capitalize on them and, and make money and grow your business. So you can never, you should never, I should say, you can do whatever you want, but you should never stop trying to find more leads. And even if you say, oh, I've got all the leads I can handle, well, that's great. But if any of them are paid leads, like in other words, direct mail or maybe Google AdWords like pay-per-click um, or even bandit signs or any of those types of things, cold calling, like all these different ways that real estate investors use to get deals. If you're using any of those to get your leads and you're saying, oh, I have all the leads I can handle, number one, great, right? I would probably challenge that if we were talking one-on-one -on -one and say, you really don't have all the leads that you need. But even if you feel like you do and it's legitimate, I would still say, find cheaper leads, okay? Unless all of your leads are totally free. And if they are, then please call me. I want to talk to you because I need to do what you're doing. But if they're all free, that's fine. But if they're not, if they're paid, then how do you, as a business owner, how do you decrease the cost of generating a lead, right? What is the cost of a lead? And if you don't know that, a little sneak peek, this is another one of the things I'm going to talk about in this list of 10 things, but you need to know your number. So you should know what it costs you to get a lead. And whatever that number is, and it's going to be different for everybody in different states and different part of the country and different part of the world, it's going to cost different amounts. But whatever that number is, you should be trying to lower it. 
Okay, if you have all the leads you can get. But for the other 99.9% of us who don't have all the leads we can we can do where we can handle, you should be trying to find more leads, okay? And then the classic mistake that people make when it comes to leads, um, and house flippers are notorious for this. It's probably the worst among house flippers. But they'll get a deal under contract, and they don't have any pro- they don't have project managers or anybody in their team, which is fine. When you're starting out, of course, you're you're going to be a, a one man band or a one woman band. But they get a they get a deal under contract, and they start trying to find contractors, and then they're managing the project, and they're not marketing or they're not doing anything to try to find leads because it's like, hey, I've already got this deal and I'm working on it, and it's taking up all my time. And maybe you're working a full time job and flipping this house, and it's like I don't I can't deal with anymore right now, so I'm going to stop all marketing. I'm going to Stop all lead gen activities, right? And then you do this deal and it takes whatever, three, four, five, six months before you actually get it sold. And then you have to start the marketing process again. And for anyone who's done marketing, a lot of marketing, you know that it takes a little bit of time. There's a little momentum in marketing. So if you start your marketing today, unless you're really, really fortunate, chances are that marketing is not going to become a deal for a month maybe a couple of months, and for some people, three or four or five, six months before they get their next deal. So you can see what can happen if you stop your marketing, then your deal flow also stops, okay? It's like turning off, uh, well, it's not like turning off a water faucet because when you turn a water faucet back on, the water just starts immediately. It's like turning on a turning off a water faucet that when you turn it on, it takes months for the water to start flowing again, right? Like you would just leave it on. So let's leave that on, and and you might be saying, well, what if I can't, handle all the deals that I have. Well, listen, the good news is there's always investors looking for a good deal. So if something comes across your desk and you can't handle it and you're a house flipper, maybe you can wholesale it. Go to a local RIA and just say, hey, I've got this opportunity. Who who wants it? Who wants to partner or who wants to, you know, you can assign it to somebody if you get it under contract first. Like there's a lot of things you can do, but the point is oxygen is like leads or leads are like oxygen. You need them to survive and you should never choke the oxygen supply off of your body or your business, okay? So leads are oxygen, without them you die. So continue to get them and if you have them, get them cheaper, right? You can always get that cost per acquisition down. So let's try to get that down, try to find additional lead sources and always keep that going because there's always someone who would want that lead. Even if you just charge them for the lead, like, hey, I got this call and this person sounds motivated. Like there are people who will pay you for that. They won't pay you as much as they would if you have it under contract. But if you have a a legitimate lead where you've taken the call and and the the seller perhaps is saying, hey, I want to sell this house. I need to get out of here. Like I I own it free and clear and uh, I I just need to go. It needs work. I know I'm not going to get full value. Like let's talk. I just want an offer, right? That's just that's a solid lead. Someone could and should pay you for that. So just, just keep in mind though that leads are oxygen. Okay, that's number one. Number two, Your marketing strategy should combine paid and non-paid strategies. And I kind of alluded to that in the last last point. But I think it's a mistake for you to only get leads through paid marketing. Okay, I get leads through paid marketing. That's where most of my leads come from. Honestly, the bulk of my leads are paid marketing. Direct mail, pay-per-click, cold calling ringless voicemail, those kind of things, I pay for that, right? It costs money. It costs a lot of money because I'm doing a lot of it. But we also have relationship 
uh, lead gen sources. We have driving for dollar lead gen sources, which is essentially free. I mean, there, you could take, say the cost of sending out the letters or whatever, but that's so minimal because you're not sending out tens of thousands. You're sending out you know a dozen or two. So trying to find leads through paid and non-paid sources is important because um, you just may not have the the deal flow or the cash flow to continue to spend a lot of money on leads. And frankly, sometimes those paid lead sources like direct mail or pay-per-click start you know, not performing as well. They start underperforming or their performance dips and you need to ramp up some of these non-paid uh, lead sources and really step it up and maybe do more driving for dollars, do more um, or, or uh, generate more relationship-based lead flow for you. Talk to uh, realtors in your market. Realtors find opportunities, whether they admit it or not to you when you're talking to them, if you don't know them, they get so many opportunities where they just can't list the house or they do list it. And it's just, there's no interest because the house is in such bad shape and needs so much work that they just have trouble moving it, right? So a lot of times, if they can make that homeowner a cash offer via you, like you're making the cash offer, but they're presenting it on your behalf, if you can do that, you can be a real asset to a realtor. <clears throat> what you have to re remember is realtors are inundated with folks like us trying to you know, find deals and things. So you have to make sure that you can show them that you're serious, maybe even do a deal with you with them and they can see that and they'll continue to, to maybe feed you those opportunities. But it's a relationship thing, guys. It's not a light switch. You can't just, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Realtor, I want deals. And then they just start calling you the next day with all kinds of opportunities. That's not how it works. They're usually skeptical. They don't know you. Um, they don't want to put their reputation on the line by feeding you a lead of someone that they've kind of nurtured that relationship, a homeowner. So you have to definitely prove yourself and create a relationship. But once you have that, realtors can be a legit source of leads that are um, relatively inexpensive, maybe free. If you're a house flipper, maybe the deal is you let them list it on the back end so the lead is truly free because they know they're going to get a listing on the back end when you're done flipping it. So always, always, <clears throat> you're always trying to get um, more leads, right? Most of us don't have enough leads. You want to get more leads and you want to find cheaper leads. And the cheapest lead is a free lead. So if you can find those and you can build up those, those, uh, streams of, of uh, those sources of revenue of, of uh, leads, lead gen sources, then that's awesome. But I think you should, especially as you scale up, right? Even in the beginning to an extent, but as you scale up, paid marketing is going to be important for your growth. You're going to need to do it to grow in most instances, not in all instances, but in most instances, you're going to need to pay for some of your marketing, whether it's direct mail, whether it's pay-per-click, and those are two huge ones. And for the real estate investors that I know, the vast majority of them get most of their deals through direct mail and pay-per-click. Those are the two paid lead sources that are, that are by far outpacing everything else. But most of them are also getting relationship-based leads, and they're getting very, very, very inexpensive ones like... Um, Driving for dollars, which is very, very inexpensive. Bandit signs, pretty inexpensive. Um, even like ringless voicemail is really, really cheap. So um, they're getting leads that way too. But a good mixture of paid and free leads is important as you grow your company. Okay, number three, you should always be building a bench. What does that mean? It's a, it's a baseball reference, right? Building your bench means you should always be looking out or be on the lookout, I should say, for talented individuals that you can bring into your company. Now, 
You might say to me, Mike, I'm not ready to hire. I don't have a big enough business. I'm not hiring right now. Okay, that's fine, right? Building a bench doesn't mean hiring them. It literally means not hiring them, to be honest. But it means building a bench is building relationships, talking to people, and having this Rolodex of people who might be interested in joining your team at some point. Maybe they're interested right now, but you're not ready. So you say, hey, listen, this you, you sound awesome. You sound like you're really a rock star at what you do. Maybe it's a salesperson. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a project manager in your flips, whatever. But to say, listen, right now we're not hiring. I'm not, I'm not ready to bring someone on right now, but I'm going to be. I anticipate that I'm going to be. Is it okay if I keep your number and we just keep in touch here for the, you know, over the next several weeks and months and just kind of like uh, I can monitor where you're at and you can monitor where I'm at. We'll kind of keep that dialogue open. So when I'm ready to bring someone on, I'll give you a call. If you're available and if you're ready to to take that step in and in, in come into my company, then great. If not, that's fine too. But let's just keep that communication open. The more of those types of people that you have on the bench, so to speak, air quotes on the bench, waiting for you or or at least not even just waiting for you, but sort of aware of you and and somewhat interested in talking to you more about doing something together, then the better off you're going to be when you when you do start hiring. And if you're already hiring and you already have a team and you're like, hey, Mike, I have a team already. I've got a great team. They're all rock stars. I love them all. They love me. I don't need to worry about building a bench. I've got the people on my team that I need. Let me tell you something. Hiring and firing is part of business. You will not probably have the same team a year or two years from now that you have right now. Maybe you'll have most of them. Maybe you'll have all of them, but you would be the outlier. You'd be unusual if you have all of them because the reality is people come and go in business for whatever reason, right? It's not even necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's just life happens and people have to move on or or whatever. So you having that bench or those Folks who are kind of like aware of you and you have a and you have a relationship with them and they like you and they're kind of like what you're doing and you like them and you like their skill set and and you like what they're up to. Having those relationships, that bench is important because when you lose one of those rock stars that's currently on your team, you want to be able to go to your bench, look at who's there, and go, that person would be a great replacement for my rock star who just left for whatever reason. Building that bench and having those relationships at your disposal all the time is really, really important, especially as you grow and scale. <clears throat> okay, next one. I, I didn't number these. So one, two, three, number four. Okay, number four. Hiring is necessary for scale and combo here. Hiring is not an exact science, okay? You will make mistakes. If you hire somebody, your first person you ever hire, if you hire them and then a month later, six months later, a year later, you have to fire them, welcome to the club, right? It happens to pretty much everybody. I don't know anybody who starts a company and has more than one hire, you know, a couple, two, three people or more, and they hire them, and 10 years later, exact same people they started with. It just, it doesn't work that way. People... You know, people move on. They get other opportunities. Maybe they're, what they want out of life changes. Maybe their relationship status changes, the divorces and marriages and having to move away for the spouse or move away for the kids or whatever. But they just get to an age where they want to retire. Whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is the people you hire in the beginning are usually not the exact same people that are there for the long term, right? So, it's not an exact science, but if you want to scale, 
it's necessary. Now, do you have to hire 20 people full-time and pay them? No, no, no. Your business, you may not require that. Maybe your goals are not to be a $10 million company or a $100 million company. Maybe not even a million dollar company, right? If you just want to have a nice little business that kind of pays your bills and a little bit of lifestyle, people call it a lifestyle business, usually because it gives them the lifestyle they want. Most people's lifestyle that they want is not to be working 80 hours a week. So if you want to grow to the point that you have financial freedom, trust me, eventually you're going to want time freedom too. And the only way that I have ever seen, especially in this business, to get financial freedom and time freedom is to hire. It's to bring people on, to hire a team around you that can run your business, do the day-to-day stuff so that you have time freedom. Now you have to give up some of the profit, obviously, because you're paying people, but that's okay because for scale, that's necessary. Now, if you say, Mike, listen, I'm a house flipper. I flip three houses a year, uh, one every quarter, basically, or four houses a year, one every quarter, okay, three or four houses a year. And I can totally do that on my own. It's not it's not stressful. I like it. It's kind of you know enjoyable for me. And I never want to do any more than that. Yeah, you probably don't need to hire anybody then. You're probably good, right? But if you tell me I'm I'm flipping one house every quarter, four houses a year, it's a nice little business. But I want to double that or, or triple it even over the next year or two. And eventually, maybe I want to be doing fifty houses a year or a hundred houses a year. Guess what? You have to hire. There's no way. A human being has 24 hours in a day, and you could achieve tremendous things in 24 hours. You really can, but you can't achieve unlimited things on your own in 24 hours, right? There is a cap on your day, and that is 24 hours. And unfortunately, we all have to sleep some of that time. So your time is finite, which means if you want to grow past what you can do in that time that you're awake every day, you're going to need to hire, right? So hiring is necessary for scale. It may sound like a no-brainer, but it took me a long time to figure that out, longer than it should have. I probably would be, there's probably about three or four years that I would say I should have hired three or four years before I did, right? I, I was doing it all on my own and making excuses why I couldn't hire and all these crazy things that really weren't true. They were in my head. But the fact of the matter is I didn't hire for probably three or four years, like I said, longer than I should have. So uh, just know that for scale, it is important to hire. How do you do it? And how do you afford it? And how do you structure it? That's a topic for another podcast, for another conversation that we'll have. But just know that it is important that you hire, or that you have to hire for scale and that it's not it's not an exact science. Now, there's ways that you can hire. the strategies that I'm, I'm definitely going to talk to you about in future episodes where you can uh, create a better chance for success for yourself, right? Rather than just going out there blindly and just hiring people without any kind of a process, and it is a process. So those are some those are some things that we'll definitely cover um, going forward in other podcasts. But just know it's important that you're going to have to hire if you want to scale. Okay, next one. Let's see. One, two, three, four. Number five. We're halfway there, guys. Number five. Document your processes. Now, you may say, I don't have a process. I'm a one-man band. I just started doing this. I don't have a process. Sure you do. You have a process. You have a process for everything. You have a process for everything you do in your personal life, for that matter. Whatever you did today from the time you woke up until now when you're listening to this is your process. The way that you wake up, do you have an alarm clock? Do you just wake up on your own? Do you hit the snooze five times before you get up? Do you brush your teeth before you take a shower? Do you brush your teeth after you take a shower? 
Do you even take a shower in the morning? Maybe take it in the evening. Maybe take it in the afternoon. Whatever the case may be, do you put your socks on before you put your pants on? Do you put your shirt on first, your pants on first? Chances are you do it pretty much the same every day, and that's your process, right? Your business is the same way. No matter what you're doing, even if you're not doing it well right now, even if you're like, hey, I don't have a process because I don't know what I'm doing and I'm kind of screwing up, fine. But you have a process for screwing up. You have a process, right? Document it. Early and often, write down what you do and try to make checklists uh, or like, you know, uh, at least at least a bare bones of a process. You don't have to go long form and make huge manuals, but just basically checklist everything that you do throughout the day and the weeks and the months and start keeping track of that. Because when you do decide it's time for you to hire, if you do get to that point, you're going to need to be able to download those processes to the people you hire, right? So instead of trying to create them, on demand, the minute somebody comes into your company, like, hey, it's your first day. Uh, I don't have anything that I can show you that I do, so let me start trying to document. No, you should have them documented already. And it's going to get refined. It's a living document, so that's why I'm saying don't worry about making a 100-page you know, manual of your processes. That's a, probably a huge waste of time, especially when you're starting out. Just keep checklists like, hey, this is how I do my marketing. This is how I go about um, my, my pre-appointment work, or this is how I ARV a property. This is how I come up with a value, or this is how I estimate renovation. Whatever it is, write it down so that you can, in the future, not only can you download that to somebody and give them that process, but it also helps you organize yourself a little bit so you pay attention to your process. So when you pay attention to your process, you'll see redundancies, you'll see ineffective inefficiencies, and you can always get better even when it's just you. So document your processes. You're going to need it down the road, and it will be helpful for you even right now, just making sure that you're doing everything you can do to be as effective as possible. Okay, number six. Number six, wholesaling and flipping are different businesses. Now, what do I mean by that? I have mentored a lot of people over the last four or five years. And one common mistake that I've seen that people make, especially when they're starting out, mostly when they're starting out, is I'll say, well, what is it you want to do? What kind of a business do you want? Do you want to be a house flipper? Do you want to be a wholesaler? Do you want to be a landlord or something else? Like, what is your, what's your goal? And they'll go, well, I really want to be a house flipper, but I want to start off by wholesaling, but I'm going to probably wholesale and flip at the same time, and I want to get rentals, right? Different businesses. They're all different businesses. They're unique unto themselves. Now, landlords are a slightly different animal because they're usually, it's a buy and hold situation. So it's it's not like you're necessarily building that business. You can, for sure, but a lot of times people will buy and hold as a byproduct of of the deals that come across their their desk for other endeavors like wholesaling and flipping. But if you're just a straight up flipper, then your business is going to look different than a wholesaler and a landlord for that matter, right? So don't don't make the mistake of thinking that you want to be a house flipper, but you're going to wholesale at the exact same time. And, and it's going to be no big deal because while you're build, building your flipping business, you'll just build a wholesaling business at the same time. It's a recipe for disaster. It's literally like built trying to build two separate businesses at the same time. So I always tell people, what's harder than being an entrepreneur and building a business? It's being an entrepreneur and building two businesses at the same time. It's a recipe for disaster. I highly recommend you don't do that. With wholesaling, you're basically a sales and marketing company. Okay, you're you're really more about sales and marketing than you are about 
actual real estate, right? I always say wholesalers, the mentality and the skill set and the business model of a wholesaler could almost be in any industry because real estate is is your is your product, it's your commodity, it's what you're kind of importing and exporting, but it's not you don't have to you're not just a real estate like you're you're a business person who does sales and marketing, right? I'm primarily a wholesaler. My business is primarily wholesaling. And I realize that I find deals through marketing and then I have salespeople, salesmen and women who then go out and find an end buyer for me to assign the contract to. So it's marketing on the front end, sales on the back end, right? It's real estate, but could be anything. So just understand. So that's what a wholesaler looks like, right? A flipper is a totally different business. Yeah, you need you need the marketing side and you need some sort of lead gen coming in. Probably not as many as a wholesaler, but you need that lead gen. But in the back end, you don't necessarily have to be a salesperson. A lot of times, house flippers are hiring realtors to sell their houses. They're hiring a professional to go out there and somebody who's full-time trying to sell houses for them. Now, you might be a realtor and maybe you do it on your own. So you go, ah, I do need the sales part, right? But you need something different in the middle, and that's project management, timelines, budgets, managing contractors, right? It's a whole different part of your business that doesn't exist as a wholesaler. So trust me, if nothing else, trust me when I tell you trying to build both those businesses from scratch is difficult at best, impossible, more likely. So I've seen it. I've seen it happen. But I, I don't know anybody who's ever built them simultaneously with equal success and both sides of the deal, like both sides of the wholesaling and the flipping. I've not seen it been, be done successfully, simultaneously from scratch. Now, what I do see a lot and what's very common is you'll have a house flipper who's gotten to a certain point. They've reached a certain level of success. They sort of have their processes dialed in. They have their team. Everything's kind of humming along and they say, I want to start wholesaling now. I want to build out that side of my business or I want to build out that business. And they do it. And it can work. Definitely can work because they have the flipping side nailed down and systematized and it's sort of running smoothly. Same thing with wholesalers. Wholesalers who have a system and they're just nailing it and they got a team and everything's humming along and they say, we're going to start flipping now. We're going to build out that business. Yeah, very doable. I've seen it happen a lot. It happens all the time. But doing it at the exact same time, difficult at best. And anyone who tells you it's not, I think is not being honest with you. So that's that's how I feel about uh, building them both at the same time. So that's number six. Number, let's see, am I got that right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. Number seven, don't try to create a good deal out of a bad one. Now, this is mostly targeted toward new investors, people who are just starting in this business. People who have been in it for a while usually know this, but if you don't, if you make this mistake, then I'm talking to you too. But a lot of new investors will be so like hungry for a deal. They'll be so desperate to find a deal that they can do for their first deal that they'll start talking themselves into things that aren't actually deals. What they'll normally do is they'll overinflate or be overly optimistic about the ARV, right? The after repair value. They'll go, well, you know, I'm looking at this and, you know, it's the, the after repair value is probably $300,000. But I don't know, there's this, these houses over here, they're they're a couple miles away, but you know, they're worth 450,000 and my house looks like theirs and maybe it makes sense. Maybe I should count those or well, if I maybe it's maybe I shouldn't look at the ones that are 2 miles away. But here's one that's only a half a mile away and 3 years ago it sold for four hundred thousand dollars, 
Everything in the last six months has sold for 300 or less. But here's this crazy one that sold, you know, a year or two years ago, and it sold for 400,000. So maybe mine is really worth 400,000, right? You start talking yourself into making bad decisions, or, you know, you have a house that's on a main road, and you know, there's it's got a funky layout, and it's just kind of a weird ugly outside. It doesn't look like the other houses. And you have all these negatives going against it and you sort of ignore it. And you compare it to houses that are not on a main road. And you compare it to houses that don't have a funky layout. And you just start lying to yourself about how nice the house actually is or could be. Um, so that's making a good deal out of a out of a bad one. Don't do that, right? You're we're way better off not taking the deal and just waiting another month or two, or I don't care how long it takes, but wait until you actually have a good deal that you that you don't have to talk yourself into. The other thing, by the way, is aside from just inflating the ARV, if you're a flipper, a lot of times, <clears throat> and you're new, you will look at the renovation and you'll start thinking, well, looks like renovation. When I look at the numbers, it's going to be fifty thousand dollars. Oh, but maybe it doesn't need a roof. I could save, you know, $10,000. I could save $8,000. And maybe the, you know, the furnace works. I don't probably have to replace that. It works. Yeah, it's 35 years old and it's sort of like a clunker, but I'm not going to replace that either. And you start like, well, maybe, maybe I don't have to paint the whole house, right? Those walls that are like green or whatever, they look kind of nice. Like maybe I'll leave those and paint the rest. Like you start talking yourself out of doing a lot of the renovation that you know you have to do so that you increase what you think the house could be worth after you renovate it and you decrease the renovation and you create this magical imaginary spread in between where you go, hey, this can make money because look at now what I've done. Now that I'm looking at this house that sold two years ago and I've reduced a lot of the renovation that I probably should do, I've taken it all out. Now there's now there's money to be made, right? You're making a good deal out of a bad one. So don't do that. Okay. Number seven. Nope. Number eight. Number eight. Track your numbers. I alluded to this in the very beginning of the episode. You have to track your numbers. Well, what does that mean, right? I call them KPIs. Some people call them metrics. But whatever you want to call it, you need to know what's going on in your business, especially when your volume starts kind of going up. It becomes harder and harder to just know the health of your business. You have a feeling, and sometimes you go, well, you know, I bought and sold 10 houses this year, so that's awesome. I, I'm probably killing it, right? But what did you pay for the houses? What did you actually make after holding costs, after, you know, the 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 uh, repairs, the cost of repairs, after paying taxes, after paying closing costs, after paying a real, like, what are your actual costs going in and out? Which marketing is working for you? If you're doing direct mail, is it making money? How much are you spending on direct mail and how much are you bringing in in revenue? How much are you paying your staff, your, your team, right? Like all of these metrics, what does it cost you to make the phone ring? Then what does it cost you to go on that appointment? Whether you get it or not, what does the appointment cost you? What is your cost per deal? What is your all-in cost, meaning overhead, all your expenses for your people, your salaries, your commissions, your, you know, your marketing, like your supplies, like everything that you're expensing into the company, what is your total cost to get a deal, right? It's going to change depending on how many deals you do. But if you spend $10,000 a month, like if that's just kind of your budget between marketing and overhead and all these other things and you know, you're you're not selling enough to cover that $10,000 a month on average, you're not you're not making money, right? So profitability. But the only way you know these things is to track. What are you spending on marketing? What are you spending on holding costs? 
What is your cost of money? Like all of these numbers are called KPIs. You need to track them because if you're doing one flip a year, all right, you're, you're probably fine, especially if you have a bookkeeper or a CPA that's helping you kind of understand what you're spending. But you can do it on a spreadsheet and it's pretty easy if you're doing one flip a year. But what if you're doing 10 flips a year? What if you're doing 50 flips a year? The numbers become much, much more difficult to track just on a simple spreadsheet or worse yet, tracking them in your head. If that's how you're doing it, you're, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble, especially with house, fl house flipping because there's a lot of money going in and out all the time. It becomes difficult to understand the health of your company. But just like an instrument panel on an airplane, right? you wouldn't want your pilot in the, in the airplane that you're getting on, you wouldn't want the pilot to just like ignore all of the controls in front of him. You need to know altitude. You need to know whether you're going up or going down. You need to know if there's a mountain in your in your path, right? All these things. That's what your KPIs are to you. It's it's telling you how to steer your plane, whether you're going up, going down, making money, losing money, heading for a mountain, so to speak. You know, you're heading for trouble. Like that's important for you to build a profitable healthy company. So track your numbers, guys. That's what good investors know, and that's what they do for sure. Okay, next one. Time kills deals and profits. What does that mean? In our company, there is a saying, time kills deals. So when we get a deal under contract, we're wholesalers, so we're looking for an end buyer, so a house flipper, landlord, or somebody who wants to take that that house and, and do something with it. Okay, So for us, once we get a house under contract, there is a timer that goes off and we're working our butts off because we hear this, this stopwatch in the background, right? And the longer that deal just sort of sits in our, in our company and we don't move it, we don't find a, a buyer for it and go to the closing table, the more likely something is going to happen that's going to ruin that deal. Could be a lot of things, could be a number of things, but just understand that as that deal kind of sits around, buyers can change their minds sellers can change their minds. Um, you know, your contract could just expire with a seller because you didn't get on it quick enough. There's a lot of things. Sellers start getting nervous when they don't hear anything. Anybody does, right? If you're going to sell your house and your realtor doesn't call you for three weeks, you get a little nervous, right? You start going, well, what's going on? Am I making the right decision here? Maybe I should get a different realtor. Maybe I shouldn't sell my house, right? So same thing happens in real estate. Once you get a contract something under contract as a wholesaler, then you need to get that monetized. You need to find a buyer, get to the closing table, get paid, move on to the next one, right? Otherwise, something um, not good for your company is going to happen. If you're a house flipper, time kills deals and profits. It's very, very obvious, hopefully, how that happens. If you hold on to a property too long during the renovation, maybe the renovation should have taken a month or two months, and it takes six months, eight months, a year, and you borrowed money for that, which is how most of us do flips. We borrow money, whether it's from a hard money lender or private uh, a private money lender. But whoever you're borrowing it from, there's interest, right? You're paying interest every month. Even if you're not physically paying it, maybe you have a, a lender who doesn't make you make payments until you sell the house. It's still accruing in the background, right? The cost of holding in that house is not only the, the, the money that you borrowed, but taxes, utilities, all these things just keeps adding up, adding up, adding up every month, every month, every month, until pretty soon you've held it so long that the cost of money, the taxes, the utilities, all these things just eat up your profits. <clears throat> so time kills deals. In our industry, speed is important, okay? Money loves speed. 
So be quick, move quickly, don't be reckless. Okay, there's a difference between being quick and reckless. Reckless is just doing things without any, you know, any concern for the consequences. I'm not saying that. I'm saying have a plan and execute it quickly. Don't sit, don't dally, don't sit around and just wait for, you know, something to happen. Like make it happen. Move forward. Money loves speed, time kills deals. So make that thing happen and move move the deal through the pipeline as efficiently and effectively as possible. Okay, last one. Create goals, plan ahead, develop a roadmap for where you want your business to be. Okay. If you don't make a plan in your business, if you don't know where you want to end up, how do you plan on getting there? You're never going to get there. So it's critically important for all businesses, all entrepreneurs, not just in real estate, but real estate is no exception. You need to know where you want to be in the next three to six months, in the next year, in the next three years, five years, 10 years. You need to understand what your destination is at all those times and then build a plan to get there. Your plan might not be perfect, but I can tell you an imperfect plan will always beat no plan. Always, right? I have a saying I, I told my kids as they were growing up. I said, if you don't make a plan for life, life will make a plan for you. And you will almost never like the plan that life makes for you. It's never as good as the plan that you make. And like I say, the, your plan doesn't have to be perfect. And, and frankly, your plan can change. But you have to have a plan, right? The other, the other kind of overused metaphor is you can't steer a parked car. But I love that one. I love it because it's so true. The car has to be moving before you can steer it. You can't steer one if it's not moving. So get your car moving so that you can steer it in the direction of the destination that you want to be. Okay, guys, that's all I have for this episode. But I just want to remind you, like I tell you at the end of every episode, all of the things that you want to accomplish in business are possible, but they're never going to happen unless you just start.